0: I must admit to you this morning, I don't have to, but I'm going to admit to you this morning, that as I was preparing this message, I was extremely tempted to skip these two verses and move on. Uh, One of the greatest portions of Scripture is yet before us, the next section, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and with supplication. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Can't wait to get to that section. Actually, we're going to do that in three messages, those verses. But uh, I was convinced When I first started to preach that I was going to preach expositorily, which meant I was going to go verse by verse through the scriptures. And we are taught all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. There is truth to be had in every portion of scripture. Some... uh, Shout it, some whisper it, but uh, there are benefits in studying the Word of God. So this morning, we're going to look at Philippians chapter four, verses two and three. One might expect that in a Christian community of believers, that everyone would get along marvelously, that peace, harmony and unity would be experienced by all. Certainly, one would expect that within the leadership team or staff or dedicated workers or mature individuals that truly love the Lord, that at least among those group of people that harmony and peace would reign. Sometimes it's very disillusioning to new believers to find out that the church which is nothing more than the people, are not all what we think they ought to be. Sometimes we can be pretty idealistic and forget that the church is a group of ransom sinners uh, and that uh, we all are standing in need of grace. Sometimes we have an idealistic view, not only of church in general, but especially the New Testament church. Oftentimes people, Prave and say, oh, I wish I could be a part of the New Testament church, as though that were the pure church, as though it didn't have the issues and struggles the churches have in our day. We might think that the New Testament church was quite different than our church and spirituality, but the answer is not really. God's people have And always will, until the day in which the Lord returns, have difficulty in getting along. This morning, we're going to consider Paul's instructions concerning two women who are having difficulties getting along. The theme is learning to reconcile our differences. Text Philippians 4, 2 and 3. Let me read it again. I entreat Yodia, I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The first thing I want you to notice in this passage is that Paul publicly exhorts Yodia and Syntyche to work together more effectively. The nature of the exhortation. What does Paul want these women to do? Well, the ESV says, I entreat Yodia, and I treat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. The NAS translates it to live in harmony in the Lord. King James, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. The word basically means to think, to form an opinion, or to set one's mind on something. It came to mean to be in agreement, to live in harmony. And this is the picture of the Christian church standing firm in Christ. It is an exhortation that is in keeping with what, and based on instruction that has been prevalent throughout the epistle. So let's do a review as to where we uh, have come from. First, Philippians two, Paul wrote, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That is what now Paul is exhorting Iotica and Syntyche to do. He has taken a general premise, and now he's applying it very specifically to these two individuals. Philippians 2.5 Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Jesus Christ. So this mind that he is encouraging them to is exemplified in the person of the Lord Jesus. They are to have his attitude. They are to take upon them his lifestyle. So in Philippians 2, it said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought not robbery to be equal to God, but took upon himself the form of a servant, who was made in likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. So this humility, this this willingness to to suffer and to die. Philippians 3.15, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. So here he is applying these passages in which he went in great depth to explain exactly what it was to agree in the Lord, to be of one mind, and now he says to Yodica and Syntyche, you need to put this into practice. So what do we know about these women? Well, we know that there are women. Philippians 4.3, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. So they were, they were ladies. We know that these women were prominent individuals who were serving the Lord. Notice verse 3 who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. So we can understand and assume that they were mature Christian individuals. They were co-laborers with Paul. Uh, they were people that were respected. They were people that were prominent. Most importantly, we know that these women were truly born again. We know that they were regenerate. We know that they had a real, vital, true relationship to Jesus Christ. These were not professors. Uh, These were not just people who uh, were nominal Christians or simply (coughs) evoked the name of Jesus, but they were people that were truly born again. For notice, it tells us at the end of verse 3, whose names are in the book of life. Uh, That's reserved for people who are born again. So Paul says definitively, these are our sisters in the Lord. What we don't know about these women, and perhaps wish that we did, we don't know anything about their personal lives other than their names. We don't know how long they knew the Lord. We do not know in what particular capacity that they served alongside the Apostle Paul. What that looked like from day-to-day responsibilities and duties. We do not know how old they were. We don't know how long they had worked together, whether it had been for years or months or days. We don't know what previous relationship they had to one another, if at all. Had they known each other before they started serving together in the gospel? Uh, Were they relatives? Were they friends? Were they enemies? Uh, What is their past experience with each other? Uh, We don't know that either. Had they become close? Were they able to confide in each other? Had they been praying for each other? Had they been encouraging each other? Had they been helping each other? We're not told any of that material. We don't know the nature of their quarrel. We don't know if it was theological. This book has a lot to say about proper belief in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did they have a disagreement over theology, over what they were to believe? We don't know. Was it methodological? Uh, Did they have a disagreement over how things should be done? Did one person think it ought to be done this way, and another person think it should be done that way? We don't know. Was it personal? Had one person said something to the other person that offended them? Had they felt slighted? Uh, Had they become upset because of a particular response that one had to the other? We don't know. The reality is, we are given extremely little information in this text. We don't know what steps, if any, that the Apostle Paul had already into to help these women we don't know the background we don't know what's leading into this we are in the dark about the relationship of these two women having said that there are a few things that I think it is safe and even important for us to assume now realize that this is an assumption but I think it's a pretty safe assumption and a pretty important assumption. First, because this exhortation is public, we can assume that the Philippian Church is already aware of the issues that exist between. These two women. Probably one of the reasons that we don't have a lot of detail. Uh, I don't think Paul is outing them at this moment. All right. Uh, uh, There are other ways that you deal with things that are private of nature, according to the word of God. Uh, It is public things that you deal with publicly. So I think it's pretty fair to assume that what the issue is, is already known. This disagreement must have lasted for some time for it to have come to Paul's ears. We can assume that this disagreement was having an effect upon the entire church. Well, you might say, how can we assume that? Well, in fact, the instruction throughout the epistle most likely was based in part because of the effect that the disagreement between these two ladies was having on the entire church. In other words, what the instruction that Paul has been giving so far is not just ethereal. It, it, it isn't just information that is kind of interesting to put in the back of your mind and to mull over and, and to think about and move on. Okay, but the book of Philippians is extremely practical. Uh, Paul has been writing things regarding their faith and conduct for a reason. Now was the time to put in practice all that the apostle Paul uh, had been instructing them. For example, turn with me to Philippians one twenty-seven. Philippians 1.27 Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live your life in such a manner that it is in keeping with the gospel. In keeping with the gospel two ways. First, so that it is consistent with what you are proclaiming. You are proclaiming faith in the gospel. Then live consistently with what the gospel teaches. And secondly, live in such a way as that you adorn the gospel. That you make the gospel uh, a pleasing. Okay, Corinthians talks about a sweet-smelling aroma. Uh, we are to adorn the gospel of Christ. Not, I'm sure you've heard it. People say, well, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want to be one. Quite conversely, if that's what a Christian is, that's, that's for me. That's what I want. Uh, that's how we're to live our life, in such a way that it brings honor and glory to God. But in Philippians 1.27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now go back to our text in Philippians chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joint crown, so stand fast in the Lord. You see the exhortation. It's the same exhortation. Stand fast in the Lord. That came out of 127, now repeated in one. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Okay, Standing fast in the Lord. Not moving, not deviating from what we know to be true and how we're to live. Now, based on that call to remain true to what we know and what we believe as to how we're to live, he is calling upon Utica and Syntyche to be of the same mind as he's explained throughout the epistle so far. Most likely, this disagreement arose after Paul was no longer on the scene. Again, in Philippians 1.27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent. Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always made, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Paul is keenly aware that his absence was a contributing factor in this disagreement. Had Paul been there, they probably would not have allowed whatever it was to, got, to have gotten to the place that it got to. Uh, many times, more mature, uh, more dedicated, more faithful believers can have a wonderful impact upon others. But unfortunately, sometimes when the leader is gone from the group, you find what are some underlying problems. You you see some underlying weaknesses. You, You see some sinful tendencies that are much more held in check while the strong spiritual leader is present, but get them out of there And things change. And that appears to be what has happened here. So Paul is not on the scene. And he urges them. You need to be of one mind. That's the situation. The second thing that we note in this text. Is that Paul asks an unidentified third party to get involved. Paul asks an unidentified third party to get involved. Verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Again, there is far more that we don't know than what we do know. First, who is this true companion? We have no way of knowing. Uh, I read about 40 commentaries in preparing uh, these messages, and the... Numbers of people that are suggested are almost infinite. They go everywhere from Timothy to uh, Epaphroditus. to, And it's all over the place. And, and the situation is we just, we just don't know. We don't know from church history. We don't know from any source who this true companion is. However, that person must have known who he was. Uh, that was enough to be said for for the Philippian church to realize who this individual was. If indeed it was an individual or it could have been collective in the sense that if you are a true worshiper and follower you need to help these women. Maybe it's not a specific person. But maybe it's a call to what all of us ought to be. True companions. True workers. True dedicated individuals. And so it's not the responsibility of any one person, but it's a call to the church to help these women. I think that's a... A very strong possibility. Help these women. What are what is this person, or what is the church to do? Well, they're to help. They're to help. Uh, the word "help" means to assist, to strengthen, to support. There, there are a lot of different ways that you can help somebody, and we use the word to support or assist. Uh, that's a good word, as long as you keep the the word picture involved. Okay, uh, think about if you want to help a sagging beam, okay, and you want to assist it to hold strength. You shore it up, you you put other timbers underneath it. You you come alongside and, and you build it so that it is now stronger. That's the image here of come alongside and give them strength to do what they are finding it difficult to do by themselves. Now, you can't help somebody that doesn't want to be helped. (laughs) But you can help somebody who wants to be helped. You can help somebody who acknowledges freely and readily, this is difficult for me. This is tough. I could use your help. I could use your prayers. I could use your encouragement. And as we think through the book of Philippians where we're called upon constantly to be praying for one another, to be encouraging one another. It is all of that. And that is what really leads me to this idea that, that what is being called upon is the church to help these individuals. And so, rather than to be backbiters, rather than to be fault finding. Rather than to be critical, rather than throw fire on the wood, douse it. Okay? Use whatever influence you have to bring these two people back together. Encourage them in the Lord. Reassure them of uh, their help. So, What do we learn from this particular section that gives no instructions per se, no details about how to go about helping, no hints as to how to accomplish it? So presumably it's based on the rest of the book. Application. What we learn is that sometimes we need uh, to intercede in other people's problems. We need to be peacemakers. The Bible warns us about, against being gossips, against being fault finders. We don't need to spread the details. What we need to spread is the encouragement to come back and live for the Lord the way we should. Uh, the instruction that Paul is giving. Throughout the letter. And the wisdom to apply it. And then thirdly. Paul reminds. The one who is to facilitate. Or the church. Whichever the case may be. Of the character and worth of these women. As they go about this ministry of reconciliation. He doesn't want the church. Or this particular individual who's going to be engaged in reconciling this woman to lose sight of their, their worth. So three things. First, he reminds the individual or the church that these women soldiered together with Paul. Notice verse 3. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. This word to labor, I've chosen to translate it to soldier. It has the aspect of endurance. Uh, In 2 Timothy, it says, Thou therefore endure uh, the hardness of a soldier. For anyone who is called to be a soldier pleases not himself, but rather the one who has called him to be a soldier. Uh, A person gives up certain things. These women had sacrificed... These, people, these women had, had ministered. These women had been effectual. These women had honored the Lord in their service. Don't forget that. It is so easy to forget in the midst of church struggles. The usefulness, the profitableness of the people that now are having a hard time getting along. I grew up in a a church that split when I was an early teen. And so I wasn't in a place of responsibility. I wasn't in a place of leadership. I was just an observer. And it was amazing to me as a 13-year-old to sit through congregational meetings in which people were yelling at each other, literally yelling at each other, and calling each other names. And I went sitting there thinking, this is my former Sunday school teacher. This is my youth leader. These are the people. And, and now the way that they are conducting themselves. And I just had to stop and remind myself that that's not the way they always were. That's not the way they always conducted themselves. Remind them that they served alongside of me. they are to be reminded that they had worked with Clement and others uh, who labored aside by me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. It wasn't just Paul that they had worked with, but Clement and other people. So these were people that knew how to get along. These were people who knew how to sacrifice. These were people that Understood commitment there was a basis for calling these individuals to repentance and to fellowship in the gospel once again and lastly he reminds them that these women are true believers in the Lord Jesus whose names are in the book of life these are true born again women uh, all too often when there are situations that arise and people disappoint us. Sometimes people are quick to question whether or not they're really saved. Would a a person who's really saved act like this? Would a a person who's really saved do these kind of things? Would a person who's really saved conduct themselves in this way? Well, at least in this instance, we know beyond a shadow of doubt that yes, they're saved. They're saved. But it's for that very reason that there is this ability to call upon them to agree in the Lord. The Lord is the unifying factor here. It is the commitment that they both have to the Lord that provides the basis for their reconciliation. Whatever their difference, no matter how great it is, no matter was it theological. Was it methodological? Was it personal? Whatever the, distance, whatever the difference, and no matter how strong that difference became, it couldn't reach the point in which it was greater than the Lord. If they're truly committed to the Lord there was nothing that couldn't be overlooked. There wasn't anything that couldn't be insurmounted. There wasn't anything that could be reckon that couldn't be reconciled. As sung this morning, there is nothing so dirty that it cannot be cleansed. They can be brought together in the Lord. It's in that basis that they can be exhorted, and encouraged. Every believer, even mature and dedicated believers, can from time to time find it difficult to get along with another dedicated, mature believer. Pride can easily get in the way. Ambition can get in the way. All the things that that uh, Paul writes about in Philippians, vain glory, he says three times, Uh, glory that doesn't matter, glory of men rather than the glory of God, who gets the credit can be issues that exist among mature Christians, all kinds of things. As you read Philippians, there are a host of things that can create problems. Such people should not be given up on. We should not lose sight of the good that people have done. We should not lose sight of the hope. We shouldn't throw in the towel. But we should work with people and continue to work with people and continue to work with people and continue to work with people people until the day that Jesus comes. If they're a brother and sister in Christ, we never write them off. Because God doesn't write them off. That's why Paul says, He who began a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Okay? That's a general truth that is foundational to this call now in chapter 4. They are grumbling, they're disputing, I don't know about what. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. They are children of God. Without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We are to conduct ourselves in such a way as that we are a bright and shining light. That we show the way. That that we say to others, follow us. That's what Paul said last week. Be ye followers of me. First Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11.1, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. He's going to say in chapter 4, those things which you have learned and, and received and heard and seen in me do. Okay, So you need to conduct yourselves in such a way that you are teaching other people how to reconcile differences. If ever there is something that is needed to be taught in our culture, in our society, it's to how to teach people to get along and to reconcile their differences. Husbands and wives need to learn how to reconcile their differences. Not divorce, work it out. Children and parents need to learn how to reconcile their differences, not to run away from home and not to disown them. Nations have to learn to work out their differences. Political parties need to learn how to work out their differences. At the very heart of what it means to be a human being in relationship to others is to work out our differences. The great commandment is to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and the second is like unto it that you love your neighbor as yourself, which begins with working out your, your differences. That's what Paul was saying when he said, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. So now as Paul is reminding the church of these women, it isn't flattery. It isn't flattery. It isn't whitewashing. Nothing of that nature. But rather, Paul is putting into practice what he's going to exhort us to that I'm going to look at in three weeks. And that is, if there's anything lovely, if there's anything that is true, if there's anything that is honest, if there's anything that is of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Think on the things that bring honor and glory to God. Focus on them. And get these women to focus once again on the things that bring honor and glory to God. The things that are honest, the things that are just, the things that are true, the things that are pure, the things that are lovely, the things that are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And the God of peace will be with you. If you can learn to think about these things, peace will begin to reign in your relationship with others. Let us help one another in reconciling our differences, living in peace and harmony to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. May it begin in our homes and may it be continued in our church and may it flow out into our relationships in the world that we would be a reconciling people calling people to reconciliation with God and to one another. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his grace and mercy. Lord, uh, forgive us that there are times in which we are selfish or we are ambitious or we are interested in vain glory or we are self-consumed or whatever the case may be and we don't get along with other people. Lord, uh, help us to realize that that does not adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Uh, It is not being a light. It's not being a good testimony. It's not showing others how to walk and how to live. So, Lord, help us. Help us all to encourage each other daily, to reflect on the good, not on the bad. Not to gossip, but to encourage. Not to harbor, but to forgive not to embitter, but to heal. Lord, may we be a godly influence in our relationships with one another. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for sharing the word. The word is powerful, penetrating, but also healing. And as we began our service this morning, we read from Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. Christ is exalted when we get along. And oh, may we remember what Paul says to the Ephesians be kind. TENDER-HEARTED, FORGIVING